This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is John Cappadonna, CFO at School of Rock, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 632. At the time, we were trying to forecast back in late March. It, it really felt like the world was in, in freefall and no one knew when you would hit the bottom. So we spent a lot of time doing um, scenario analysis focused on a cash flow model. So understanding how our cash inflows and outflows would change in various scenarios. Uh, probably like lots of other companies, um, we were trying to thread the needle a little bit such that if the bottom was really low and we stayed there for a long time, ensuring that we managed the business such that we could we could get through that period, have enough capital to start the recovery journey before we needed to, to go ahead and fundraise again. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Jacqueline Purcell, CFO of Deputy, a workforce management software developer. Turn back the clock and Jacqueline Purcell had received a law degree and kicked off a law career where she became involved in some of the M&A work for clients. Intrigued by the deal making, she went back for an MBA at Stanford before joining Morgan Stanley, where she would oversee a multitude of transactions over a seven-year tenure. She would step into the CFO office for the first time in 2017, and her latest CFO tour duty began only earlier this year. We speak to CFO Jacqueline Purcell after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Jacqueline Purcell, CFO of Deputy. Jacqueline, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the time, Jacqueline. We're going to begin where we always do, which is to ask our guests to look back for us and identify and share some of those experiences they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? Sure. I actually started my career as a lawyer at a large Australian uh, law firm, Alan's Arthur Robinson, focusing on M&A and banking and finance transactions. So a little bit of an unconventional start for someone who ended up in finance. Uh, but it was actually this experience that I think gave me a really great grounding in kind of complex transactions and corporate finance and actually sparked my interest in in moving into finance because Working on these transactions, it just looked like uh, those um, 
inside the organizations we were advising and on the on the banking side we're having a little bit more fun and a lot more impact on the on the outcomes um so i took myself off to stanford did an mba and then coming out of stanford uh decided to head to wall street uh so i joined morgan stanley at the tail end of the financial crisis uh, and went and went into their M and A team, where I spent uh, just over eight years focusing on a full spectrum of mergers and acquisitions transactions. Uh, so I worked on small private company sell sides, and then all the way up to really large, you know, tens of billions of, of public company mergers in all kinds of different industries. Uh, it was obviously great. Um, a great place to get get excellent corporate finance training. Um, but actually, again, the thing that I took away most was uh, what I learned from working with great CFOs at clients who were very often the ones in the in the driver's seat of those those deals. And um, if helpful, can t- can touch on some of the people that I found particularly influential. Um, but, but at the after about eight years of of investment banking. I was looking to have, I'll say, more connection uh, and more impact in my in my work, and and really wanted to pursue an operating role at a fast growth company. Um, that led me to come back to Australia, where I joined Coltramp, which is a fast growing employee engagement software platform. Uh, I was there for two and a half years and helped take the business from about ten to fifty million in ARR raised over $100 million of, of capital. Uh, and then uh, just in March, kind of in the middle of COVID, uh, I took my second CFO role at Deputy, um, which is a workforce management platform, um, also based in Australia, but serving a global market. Okay. I like the way you connected the dots for us. I mean, you start out as an attorney and you become involved in some of the legal work uh, around M&A and, and complex transactions intrigue you. So you go back to business school at Stanford, and then you head to Wall Street where you become uh, an M&A expert uh, and spend a lot of time uh, with CFOs and are intrigued by the role. So uh, it's just so matter-of-fact anyway. I do think... Um, the space you land in, the workforce space, is intriguing because in some ways uh, a lot of what you were involved in, M&A work, mergers often fail because of the workforce and because of culture. Uh, uh, am I, uh, so here, here again, your, your past experience might link up with uh, your present. How am I doing? Am I uh, making sense? Uh, look, you've hit the nail on the head, and I think it was again probably the the thing that I loved most about my work at Morgan Stanley is the privilege to be able to go in to so many different organisations at what I'm calling a very kind of intimate time. You know, I was working with companies uh, when they were doing you know transactions that were going to completely either revolutionise their business or or really. Um, change the trajectory of, of their careers and and you're absolutely right what what made them successful was not only I think the dynamic between the two parties but also the internal dynamic how how teams work together at organizations how they were structured um, and that you know 
that leads to better decision making, better flow of information. Um, and so, so I, you know, I guess stepping back, I, I'm absolutely a very people focused finance leader, and I, I really believe that as important is the work a company does. Um, it's equally important how you build the organization that supports that work to be done. And that's where the magic can happen. Now, just to, just to underscore the point, just a little more, when you do leave Morgan Stanley, as you explained, you, you join culture amp, which is yet another company uh, in the, in the talent space. And again, I'm struck by uh, how your earlier work, you got, got this visibility into so many uh, different companies and probably had a lot of time to think about the challenge of retaining employees and what's important when it comes to retaining employees. So is that what uh, attracted you to CultureAmp? What would you, what would you share with us? Yeah, it's interesting. So it's funny because what drew me to CultureAmp was the fact that it was one of the things that drew me to culture Amp was the fact that it was quite mission driven. I felt like it was an organization that was uh, trying to build a really big successful company, but by having a really positive impact on the world, by helping workplaces be better, uh, helping people have a better experience of their working lives. Uh, but I was equally drawn to the company because it had a really inspirational founder and it was growing really quickly and it was, it was you know, on a path to being very financially successful. So it was really the combination of those two things that attracted me. Um, but, but absolutely, and I, I think it goes back to the lesson that I've learned in banking in in my experiences um, as a CFO is no matter what organization you're in, it's all about the people and the talent and how you treat others and how you create an environment and a company where people can can come and do their best work. And uh, and I think that is, you know, there's there's all kinds of formulas for creating a great culture and it needs to needs to to work for a specific organization. Uh, but that I think is as important for a CFO to have in mind as it is the, you know, the EBITDA line. Something else I, I, I think our audience might find interesting is the fact that uh, your business career, you built really for the first decade or more uh, in the States. That's where you did, that's where you worked for Morgan Stanley. That's where you did the M&A work. But your your CFO career chapter, you don't open that until you return uh, to Australia. Do I, do I have that right? Yeah, so I've been back in Australia for just over three years, um, but, but did spend a lot of time in the, in the US. I, it's funny, I, after so long in the US, I, I eventually got homesick and I, I wanted to have a connection to Australia in my work, uh, but I am still um, very, you know, I don't want to lose my ties to, to the States. And so what was important to me is that I find that I work for companies that are global and have a big presence and opportunity in the US. So I still, um, apart from kind of the recent events with COVID, you know, I still get back to the States at least kind of at least quarterly. Um, and and what's exciting to me, and actually one of the reason I, reasons I joined Deputy, is because the opportunity in the states is so big, and there's a real opportunity to take um, the magic that they've created in Australia and and 
and and penetrate the U.S. market, which is obviously a much bigger opportunity. So we ask every guest uh, to offer us a, an overview of their their company. What does it do? What are its offerings? Uh, tell us about Deputy then. Uh, of course, so Deputy uh, Deputy's mission is to simplify shift work. So it is a work more, workforce management platform for hourly or shift-based workers, uh, and it helps companies simplify scheduling, timesheets, uh, tracking hours, and communicating with their teams. Uh, it's particularly uh, relevant um, to businesses that have kind of complex workplace requirements as it relates to when people can work um, and managing comp- the complexity of pay and and tracking hours. Um, and it also, you know, in addition to helping those businesses, uh, it's also a, a a company that's been very focused on providing a great experience for the workers that use it. So we hope to give people much greater control over when they work uh, and make it a lot easier if if something comes up and they need to swap a shift um, so they're able to communicate with their manager and colleagues uh, to do that. So usually uh, we ask here, uh, the finance leader, whether they reorganized finance, whether they made any key hires. Uh, and since you really have just stepped into the role within the last six months, I like to instead ask the question this way. Years from now, when you look back at this chapter, your deputy chapter, what um, what is it that sets this chapter apart from the rest? What is it that is likely to be accomplished here? Look, I think... Uh, particularly given the timing in which I started at Deputy, which was very unusual in the really the heart of a global pand- <laughs> pandemic, uh, I, I really hope that it's this experience where I am really influential in in helping the business kind of not only navigate this period, but come out of it and really thrive and live up to its full potential. So uh, Deputy is not unlike uh, many venture-backed software businesses um, that that needs to, to figure out how to scale effectively. Um, and that's my particular kind of area of, of interest. As I said, it's, it's really building the building an amazing organization that supports its mission. Uh, but I think for Deputy, given the disruption that we've seen take place in the world through COVID and social distancing and impacts to business activities, that we're really in a position that we can um, we can adapt our business to better serve our customers and the people that work at these type of um, in these type of businesses. So you step into the CFO office and you you peer down on the the last round of financial statements. You want to understand the business better. There are certain numbers uh, that you want to make more accessible. What are the types of business dynamics that you are looking to measure and study more closely? Sure. So I, uh, as a finance leader, I'm obviously interested in financial data, uh, but in many ways that tells you what has happened in a business. And so I'm also really interested in the connection between financial and operational data and particularly uh, understanding a business to uncover what are the real the the most critical leading indicators that are going to tell you where 
where where the company is going, um, and that includes both understanding the potential to to bring in in revenue from new customers, but also how the behaviours of your existing customers may change, whether that's um, expanding expanding with you um, or contracting and churning. So I uh, work really closely with our our data team, uh, and and in particular during the early months of COVID, we worked really closely together to establish what we called a COVID-19 dashboard um, that was was relatively operationally focused actually in terms of understanding the behaviour of our users in the product and what they may tell us um, about what then would happen on our revenue side. So we're looking at things like the time between when companies are scheduling shifts and when people are working. We're looking at activity levels on the platform, how many shifts are being scheduled, how many employees are then actually going and working those shifts. Um, and we're using that data to um, inform our forecasts of what will happen in, in the business. Uh, in addition to that, I also track all the typical um, SAS, SAS metrics around uh, new customer acquisition, um, MRR, uh, deputies very much a monthly recurring business for the most part. Uh, and really focused on our efficiency metrics. How much is it costing us to acquire customers and how long does it take us to to recoup that cost? I wonder, as you see the real value, some of the measures you just mentioned bring to organizations or can bring to organizations, whether you ever uh, think back to your M&A deals and think, gosh, I wish we had uh, these types of measures as we were putting together deals so we understood better the organizations we were putting together and the likelihood uh, of the success of a merger uh, due to those uh, different workforce attributes. Is that a thought that might occur to you from time to time? It does. It does. And it's interesting looking back because, you know, a big part of the role of an M&A banker is to help tell the story of a business and to obviously do so in part through numbers. And so we spent a lot of time, you know, obviously articulating uh, the key drivers of a business. Uh, we spent a lot of time building building models um, and trying to predict the future. Uh, but that was all, you know, primarily done with, with financial data. And I think leveraging more of the operational metrics, both to tell the story of a company, but also to inform that type of modeling can be can be very powerful. And of course, I think since you know the last decade, a lot there's been huge growth uh, in the sophistication of business analytics tools, and so a lot more companies are using this, and this this data is just more easily accessible. Um, I do think also importantly, it's um, and I've seen this a little bit since I joined Deputy, that this data is great, but you you need to be able to, I'll say, fly at the right altitude over it. Um, and there are times when it's important to get really deep into the data, but you also need to be able to kind of zoom out and make sure that you can see the forest through the trees. And I think that's that's an art form in itself. You mentioned uh, COVID, of course, several times. And uh, it, this strange environment that uh, business is operating in today, can you can you reflect a little bit for us on the pandemic and your response as a finance leader 
Absolutely. And I, the, I guess the good news now is that, so I've been at deputy almost five months. So it's, we're now about five months through the COVID <laughs> crisis. And obviously it's not over and, and the news changes every day. And here in Australia, just, in the, we thought we were we effectively felt like we'd beat it. We had very low case numbers. And then uh, in Victoria, um, they had a surge in cases and gone back into lockdown. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely not a case that, that we're in the clear and we, we know what will happen now, but we certainly learnt a great deal through the pandemic. And, you know, I just, I cast my mind back to late March, early April. I was brand new in my role and a new organization. So learning how the company, you know, what the drivers of the company were, but also learning, learning the people and, and building relationships with the other leaders, leaders in the business. Um, there was, it was just a time of really high uncertainty. And so <laughs> forecasting was incredibly difficult. Uh, deputies lucky to have a very engaged board of directors. And so I definitely spent time speaking to them. We have uh, a number of really experienced uh, venture capitalists that are sitting on a lot of other boards of, of similar fast growth software companies. So we were trying to tap into what they were learning from their other portfolio companies. We also have a director that sits on a number of really big co public company boards. And so I was trying to tap in to her knowledge in terms of what they were talking about. Um, but at the end of the day, it at the time we were trying to forecast back in late March, it, it really felt like the world was in, in free fall and no one knew when you would hit the bottom. So we spent a lot of time doing um, scenario analysis focused on specifically on 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 a cash flow model. So understanding how our cash inflows and outflows would change in various scenarios. Uh, and and probably like lots of other companies, um, we were trying to thread the needle a little bit such that if the bottom was really low and we stayed there for a long time, ensuring that we managed the business such that we could we could get through that period, have enough capital to start the recovery journey before we needed to to go ahead and fundraise again. Um, but equally, we didn't want to be so conservative that we took out some of the key um, functions of the business that would be really critical in a recovery phase um, and be be caught flat-footed, so um, unable to respond if uh, the recovery came more came more quickly and was more steep. Um, so those were the two kind of the two scenarios we were looking at and, and trying to manage towards. Uh, and I can still remember, I think I'd only been in the, in the company less than 48 hours when someone looked at me and said, so what do we, what do we need to do here? Uh, and um, I don't think I've ever felt um, quite so much, um, I guess, pressure, but also responsibility to, to make a good decision in that context because um, when we're talking about reducing costs, we're, we're in many cases talking about reducing the size of the team, which was going to impact people's livelihoods. Um, so we we worked really hard on those on those scenarios to to come at at the right decision for the company.
Jacqueline, we always like to ask our guests for a finance strategic moment, and this is something they experienced at some point in their finance career. Again, we know you've had many of these, but we're looking for that one that maybe always comes to mind as you're in conversation with finance peers uh, as a past experience that really uh, sticks out for you. Does any come to mind? Uh, Look, it does. And I'd actually say the one that's most fresh in mind is that experience that I've most recently had. One of the things that struck me when I joined Deputy, um, they'd already started some of the scenario planning before I got there, but the company had been been very P&L focused and everyone was talking about how EBITDA would change um, or potentially be impacted in these various scenarios. And um, my kind of initial like insight was why why are we talking about EBITDA we should be talking about cash like that is the thing that you know is really the the it's the water for an organization it's the thing that you need to make sure you continue to have enough of to function Um, and so even though I was brand new and still learning the business we were quickly able to pivot that conversation from thinking about about EBITDA and how our PL would be impacted to focusing on our cash flow and how our receipts were going to change. And then likewise, how our outgoings were going to be impacted um, by COVID. And, and that sounds like a very simple thing, but I think it was um, incredibly powerful and really impactful as we navigated um, the, the early months of the crisis. When we return, CFO Jacqueline Purcell enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back with CFO Jacqueline Purcell of Deputy, and we are entering the mentoring round where we begin with this question, Jacqueline, as you think back to uh, the first time you stepped into that operating role, that CFO role, uh, what is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you? Yeah, it is... (laughs) I think coming into my first operational role in a, in a way I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, and so uh, I'd say the, the best piece of advice that I would give someone making a, a similar transition and, and wish that I had, uh, had known at the time was just to build my team as quickly as possible. You know, you cannot do it on your own. And the faster that you can get a team in place with the right skill set, just the the more leverage as a leader you get, 
and the more quickly that you can move. So it, it, in my case, obviously, I came from an investment banking background. I've got really comfortable in in corporate finance. Uh, I think I've I developed you know good, obviously transactional analytical skills. But I I'm not an accountant. I didn't grow up inside finance teams at at organisations, and so I realised that I needed a really strong um, strong partner who had that background uh, and it took me it, it frankly took me too long to 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 bring that person into into the company at Colt Triumph but once I did it was it was so powerful and we had a great partnership and and also and look you know let's let's not forget the importance of this it became a lot more fun because um, we both could learn from each other and and really felt like we had someone that we could we could bounce things off off each other and and that was that was for me like a really pivotal moment in changing my effectiveness by having that that partner who complemented my skill set a nice takeaway there for sure we always like to ask our guests to reflect a little bit on the personal side reveal something about themselves to us in terms of something they do, a habit or part of their daily routine that they think in some ways uh, has contributed to their professional success. Anything come to mind? Uh, sure. I'm not sure it's a habit or routine, uh, but as I'm sure you're familiar, there's often this debate about work-life, is it balance or kind of integration? But the thing that has really helped me and I get a lot of kind of joy out of it is is actually just is, is networking connecting with other finance leaders so not in any form of um i'll say not with any specific um outcome in mind but a lot of these people have um become both amazing mentors and, and frankly friends so um i find that that networking for me is really energizing and being able to um, have conversations with people in similar positions to share challenges, to share learnings, to bounce ideas off, really important. Uh, I think it it can help the role feel less lonely. Um, it can also, frankly, be really powerful in terms of not having to reinvent the wheel um, and just be able to leverage the the insights of a of a of a broader range of people so for me that is something that i am kind of constantly doing which is just connecting connecting with others and and even through covid where that's had to become somewhat more remote um i've i've managed to build a couple of of new connections and and, and actually friendships um from other finance leaders jacqueline would you have a book selection for us I do. So I love reading. I'm a bit of a nerdy, the nerd in me, general general management books. Um, and I think the ones that I get the most out of are frankly the ones written more like a novel where they really tell the story of a company or a business. Uh, and one that I read right before taking my new role at Deputy was That'll Never Work by Mark Randolph, who founded Netflix. And I thought it was um, not only just a great story, but uh, the things that I took out of that 
uh, was the power of focus and discipline. You know, in in some sense, an online video store is is not a very exciting or revolutionary idea, but they certainly created an incredibly exciting and revolutionary business. And they did it by being incredibly focused. And uh, if you read the book, I love, you know, he talks at a few critical moments um, about the influence that the CFO and the business had on on their decisions. Um, but it's a yeah, great story about building, um, again, not just an impactful company, but a really pa- impactful and, and unique organization. Well, we're, we're up to our final question. So this is where we ask you to look forward for us and share with us your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months. So uh, I've got three pretty clear priorities. The first goes back to uh, trying to learn my own lessons um, is to build my team. So new at deputy, there's a really strong team in place, but it's small. And as deputy itself grows, we're really going to need to scale um, the finance team and particularly bring in new capabilities, um, a, a dedicated FP&A team, for example, um, and also think about how we're going to support this business globally at the moment, the whole team's in Sydney. Uh, the second thing is to really refine the critical metrics for the business. This sounds really simple, but is actually quite a hard thing to go through, takes some time and requires pulling together people from across the organisation uh, to define those metrics that that really matter for the company. Uh, it's easy to have a long list of metrics, but distilling it, distilling those down to the critical things is is what I am focused on. And having obviously having clear dashboards that cascade through the company, um, so that that uh, it's it's easily digestible, not just for the executive team, but for for everyone in the organisation. And then the third thing is helping. Um, deputy return to to not only a place of growth but efficient growth and as CFO I see that as helping my colleagues who are leading um, the product and go to market areas of the business set the right constraints for growth so um, we we can grow in a focused and disciplined way and and set ourselves up for for our next milestone as a as a company whatever they that may be CFO Jacqueline Purcell, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.